Hello, beautiful mamas. It is a Tuesday night at 9.19 p.m. We are coming at you with sleepy eyes, greasy hair. And sweatpants. You know, the whole, we are full mom in it right now. Lots of technical difficulties. It wouldn't be a podcast episode without some. So um, here we are just, me and Aisha are here just living our best lives, doing our best. I love it. Well, this is fun to see your face at 9.30 p.m. on a Tuesday. Um, I'm all about it. Um, But this week's episode is a little bit different. We're actually sharing an episode that we recorded live. So um, we had our, we have two large fundraisers throughout the year for Dear Nikki Mama, and one of them is a local one here that supports Midwest charities and we are fortunate to be a part of it and so it's called Giving Hearts Day and it's a party our whole town gets involved and it is just such a beautiful way to connect with so many NICU families or people that are touched by the NICU because they have relatives or siblings or grandkids or all of the above and it's just a really special day the energy in the town is just it's a blast um Oh, what I would give to like come next year, come join next year and be a part of it. I will, I will. Some people literally dress head to toe in red and like wear hearts all over their bodies or get temporary tattoos. I mean, people go all out. It's really fun. But uh, one thing that we did this year was partner with a um, a financial investment firm, and one of the individuals is somebody that I actually know from college, so we go way back. But him and his wife had a NICU baby, and he's six now, but he, with his company, was like, we want to give back to Dear NICU Mama this Giving Hearts Day. Could we, you know, what could we do to kind of like boost Dear NICU Mama, raise awareness? And I was like, do you want to share your story? And he's like, wait, what? I was like, yeah, what if you and your wife shared your story live on a virtual podcast and it gave family members and people in the community to come and hear your story? And it was so much fun. I wish you could have been there to co-host it with me, Aisha. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm so glad that you recorded it. And now I have the chance to listen to it because (laughs) – it truly was such a beautiful uh, conversation, so honest and mm-hmm. so vulnerable. And it's all we mm-hmm. talk about here at D- Dear Nikki Mama is the power of our stories and sharing them yeah, um, and how that can be so yeah. healing as well. But tell us a little bit more about Giving Hearts and what Nikki Mama was able to raise. It really was like even beyond our local community, we saw so many donations come in from members of the sisterhood and it was just so, so fun. And just like I was in tears. There's a video of me in tears <laughs> that my husband recorded. I was going to say, if you haven't seen the video, go to do stop, pause the podcast Go to the Instagram and look for the <laughs> video of Ashley reacting to the final number. I was so number. emotional that day. I was so emotional that day. It will make day. you cry. Literally, and I think the video <laughs> is when we hit, it was like 20,082 cents because our goal was 20,000. And then when we hit that 82 cents threshold, I was like, we did it. And that was a total mess. Um, but yeah, Giving Hearts Day was so special this year. I... I think one of the extra special parts of it is that I had Silas with me on the day. Um, 
And so he went Mm. with me to deliver the Valentines that we always do traditionally for Giving Hearts Day. And he got to see some of his NICU nurses that took care of him. And it was just like such a full, Mm. Giving Hearts Day always feels like such a full circle moment for me because one of the things we always do is go to the NICUs and connect with the staff and just thank them and love on them a little bit and love on the moms. And so bringing Silas with me was just so surreal. And one of our favorites was working that day. And so she got to give him a big hug and it was just, it was really fun. Um, But yeah, it was, it was a whirlwind of a week. We crammed a lot into the week. It was, Uh, It went really fast, but like I said, there's just this energy that is just so palpable and tangible, and people are just excited to support nonprofits, and I really am biased when I say this, but like our local area has some truly remarkable nonprofits in it. Like I looked over at Ryan at one point and I was like, if I had a million dollars, I would donate it to every, I wish I had a million dollars for every one of these organizations, like truly are doing life changing work. And, um, I got to connect with some of the people that work at Ronald McDonald house here locally. And so we want to do some collabs and different things. And it was just really, really special. And because of your guys' generosity and the generosity of our community here, we were able to raise $22,400. And I just literally woke up completely in awe because I think, you know, you always, I don't know, I, I think going into the year, you look at it at a glance and you're like, here are the things that we hope to be able to do. Will this be possible? I don't know. You know, like, will this actually, mm-hmm. can can we make this happen? And so then to start the year off with that money to know that, like, we can still do this work. Like, we can still serve these moms and support these hospitals. And it was just so incredible. And one of the new kind of initiatives that we launched for Giving Hearts Day was what we call our Walking Litter of Hope initiatives. And This is our first kind of test run of it. We hope to be able to continue to expand it to more hospitals, but we started here locally. And it is to provide NICU moms in the NICU with Dear NICU Mom merchandise. So for any of our members of this community that have purchased a sweatshirt or a t-shirt, you know, for so many of us, it's more than just a shirt. It's literal armor. It's what we wear when we need to feel surrounded, when we need to feel held, when we need to feel Mm -hmm. brave. And Mm -hmm. we want to make that really accessible for moms in the NICU. And so part of this initiative is that every $100 of 1000 would be donated directly back to Merchandise for Moms. And so then with this initiative, we're able to, you know, put that in a separate pile of money or I should pile of money sounds really, but into this pool of money, into a separate little pool of money that will provide, you know, 20 or $2,400 of merchandise to moms in the NICU. And when we were doing the math too, of like what we would need to be able to support the number Mm -hmm. of beds that we have here locally and like in our surrounding areas, we'll be able to cover all those beds. So it's just amazing. I'm so excited about it. I was just going to say, can you imagine being in the NICU when you were in the NICU and receiving oh. a dear NICU mama sweatshirt that gave you literally the words mm-hmm. you needed to feel yeah. empowered in that moment? It, I yeah. mean, it will yeah. have such an impact, and I, yeah, I personally I just love that initiative, and I think that it's such a, 
easy way to feel like a more tangible way of um yeah yeah of supporting um NICU mm-hmm. moms that are um yeah. currently at their baby's you know bedside so how cool is that yeah, absolutely <laughs> I know when I saw that number, I was just most excited. I'm like, oh my gosh, we get to support all of our local moms, like all of our moms and moms in surrounding areas that are in hospitals. We have some smaller NICU units in other cities in our area or in our state. And so to know that like we will have enough in that pool to do that. And then, you know, to really dream about Mm -hmm. what can this initiative be, Mm -hmm. you know, moving forward, how can we continue to partner with more hospitals and make this accessible and really like drive that initiative. Mm So I'm really, really excited. But uh, one thing is at one of the hospitals, I, we dropped Valentine's off to, we were kind of like on the corner of the hallway and right in front of us was a mom and dad in the NICU with their baby. And the dad was doing kangaroo care. And I just like, you look at that and it, you just remember like how much of a bubble you're in, right? Like you literally, they looked like they were in like a snow globe. Mm. Like you just looked at them. I was looking at them from the outside in and you're just like in this glass room basically and you're just holding your baby away from the rest of the world and it just was so beautiful to see that and it really just, again, that full circle Mm -hmm. moment of like I remember being in that place. I remember what that felt like and wow so and the mom was like so sweet she like smiled at me and I was like oh my gosh like I just want to go give you a hug so anyways but oh that is so incredible and yeah I mean it's just it's really cool to see and to start the year off yeah like that and you know just makes me really excited to see how you know dear Nikki mama continues to support Mm -hmm. and provide this like peer support mm-hmm. um and it's it's just such you know I was talking to Andy the other night about you know dear Nikki mama and saying like there really isn't anything mm-hmm. that compares to mm-hmm. that to what dear Nikki mama is doing right now is just literally providing someone that understands and sees you mm-hmm. for what you are going through. And I think even in this um, episode that we're about to listen to, um, that's so evident um, too, that um, being seen in this journey um, and feeling like you're not alone mm-hmm. and that someone else out there in the world understands exactly mm-hmm. what you're going through um, is so essential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's just really, really incredible to know that, you know, Dear Nikki Mama has, you know, because of the generosity of so many, the ability to continue to do this important work. Absolutely. Well, and that was one of the reasons that you'll hear um, in the episode, but Tyler wanted to partner with Dear Nikki Mama this year was he was like, six years ago, we didn't have this. And he's like, it would have changed everything to have had something like this. And so he's like, we want to, you know, help make that happen for future parents and for current NICU families. And so it was just one of the things I kept hearing on Giving Hearts Day from from donors was just, dear NICU mama is what I wish I would have had. And I want to see it keep moving mm-hmm. forward. And um, just the ability to see all of the donations that came in in honor of 
other NICU families or NICU babies or, you know, it's just the NICU connects so many of us, whether we, you know, know them firsthand or not. I mean, there's just this like web of people that are here because of a NICU journey or NICU experience. And so, yeah, we truly could not do this work without your generosity. And it really means everything to us. Um, that video of me crying is like not unusual. Like mm-hmm. I, anytime I see a donation, like it just really, it blows my. Pretty sure you cried in this episode <laughs> yeah, too. It did. Yeah, <laughs> it's just every time I have the chance to just see the the support that Dear Nikki Mama has is just it, mm-hmm. it will never not it will never cease to amaze, not cease to amaze me. How do I say that? It will just forever amaze me and blow my mind. And I'm just so so grateful and I'm so excited for what 2024 will hold and we're just starting it off on such a strong foot and I'm just really excited. So thank you to each and every one of you who have donated in the past and who donated Mm -hmm. to giving hearts day and just really are helping us continue this work. And I'm really excited about it. Yes. Well, we hope you enjoy this episode. It's beautiful. Get your tissue box because you will cry (laughs) and we will see you again next week. Welcome to the dear NICU mama podcast. This podcast is a safe place to connect with other NICU moms by listening to interviews with trauma-informed medical and maternal mental health experts, remarkable stories from the NICU, and intentional roundtable conversations. Our hope is that you feel like you're sitting across the table from another NICU sister and feel seen and validated in your experience. No matter where you are on your healing journey, this podcast is here to remind you that you are not alone. Welcome to the sisterhood. Tonight is a special night. My name is Ashley Ham. I am the co-founder and executive director of the nonprofit Dear Nikki Mama. And one of our programs and services is the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. And the beauty of the podcast is that a NICU mom can listen to that podcast in or out of the NICU. A lot of our community members listen to the podcast to and from the NICU if they're commuting, at bedside with their baby. So this is really fun to be able to kind of tie in this live event with one of our existing programs and services. Um, I work here at Thunder Coffee almost every day. It's my home away from home. (laughs) But one day, Tyler walked in wearing a Thrivent shirt and told me about his new career and how they get to partner with nonprofits all over the U.S. And Tyler and I and Carrie go way back because we have been friends since college, and now we're parents with, like, (laughs) jobs and stuff, (laughs) which is crazy. Real adults. Um, But we kind of came up with this podcast idea um, as not only a way to raise awareness, but to also give you guys the opportunity to hear a NICU story up close and personal. And if it's something that you haven't walked through, oftentimes getting to hear it from the couple themselves is a really great way to just learn about what it's like to be a NICU parent. And so I want to thank Thrivent for being today's sponsor. Thrivent is a Fortune 500 diversified financial services organization that provides advice, investments, insurance, banking, and generosity so people can make the most of all they've been given. Today we'll hear from Tyler, a financial associate at Thrivent, who has a personal connection to today's event. So thank you guys for being a part of this. Tyler, do you want to say anything else before we hop in? You pretty much said it all, Ash. (laughs) We're just happy to do this. It's... uh... Ever since our journey started in the NICU, we really wanted to, you know, speak to people who have been through it and, and offer some hope, and, and we're just really excited to, to be a part of this. So thanks for having us. 
Well, and our story goes not only full circle because we knew each other in college, but when our son's um, anatomy scan at 24 weeks showed that he had a heart defect, they started to talk to us about moving to the cities and preparing for open heart surgery following his delivery. And I remember when you guys posted about Jet's journey, and I remember being like, whoa, I didn't even know that could happen, first of all, that they could operate on such a tiny baby. But then I was like, okay, I know these people that have gone through this. And so I remember messaging you on Facebook and being like, hey, we might need heart surgery. How do I do this? And you guys were so sweet and encouraging and just so hope-filled of, yes, this will be hard, but you can do this. We are here to support you. And so now to be doing this interview and to hear more of the intricate details of your journey is really, really an honor. So let's start at the very beginning. (laughs) When did you guys find out you were pregnant with Jet? Because he's your firstborn. And how was your pregnancy overall? Carrie, do you want to start? I will. So uh, we found out that I was pregnant October 2016, so I was about five weeks pregnant at that time. Um, I had my first OB appointment 10 weeks in, and it was normal leading up to that point. At 17 weeks, an OB appointment, we did a quad screening, and there were abnormal findings on the quad screening so that um, there was an elevated risk for Down syndrome. So from that point, they sent us to genetic counseling, and we talked with them, um, and they recommended that we go through a level 2 ultrasound. So about in 20 weeks into the pregnancy, we did the ultrasound, and this is looking at um, giving a full evaluation of fetal growth and anatomy, and they can detect major structural birth defects at that time, like... Mm -hmm. Um, as you know, Almost Ashley. Too much. Yep, <laughs> too much at this that time. The size of their kidneys, and you're like, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so um, there were cardiac findings at that point. There was, um, it was difficult for them to see the left outflow track in the imaging, so there was potential for um, the transposition of the great arteries diagnosis, which we got later. So they referred us to pediatric cardiology. And at that point in the pregnancy, you know, you, you just know things are not normal mm-hmm. at that point. So um, at 24 weeks, we met with pediatric cardiology. We had a fetal echocardiogram um, and then got, Jet got the diagnosis of transposition of the great arteries with a ventricular septal defect. Um, and from there, you want to say something, add something? <laughs> yes. Uh, TGA, transposition <laughs> of the great arteries, people are probably like, what? Um, or you're not like, what? Because you're dealing with it right now in the NICU. And so hopefully this you know, gives you some hope um, as we talk about our story. Um, our son's doing great right now. We'll get to that. But I just wanted to throw that out there right away in the beginning. Um, transposition of the great arteries, in a nutshell, your aorta and your pulmonary artery are actually reversed. And um, so basically your unoxygenated blood continues to not get oxygen and you end up uh, turning, in, like they call it, blue baby um, and suffocating kind of from the inside, which is a very scary thing to hear as a brand new parent in, in the hospital uh, for the first time. Um, 
it's like you're in a dream and and you're just yeah very very shocked but that's what it is i just wanted to say what it was because <laughs> it sounds like a crazy transposition what it's just your two main arteries are reversed yeah so <laughs> we got that diagnosis and then um continued following with maternal fetal medicine we had a planned delivery in minneapolis so we needed to deliver at a surgical hospital. So that was the plan. Um, We were planning to relocate at 36 weeks just so we could be there when the time came. And at 34 weeks, I was going in for routine stress tests. And uh, at that point, the heart rate dropped in one of the stress tests. So we had to, I had to stay overnight. We stayed overnight at the hospital and it, in Fargo. It dropped again in the night. And then um, we got life flighted <laughs> to Minneapolis and spent the night again there. And we relocated early. Our parents and family and um, friends all helped us get that sorted out. So some uncertainties and unpredictability with having to relocate a little earlier than expected but we we did know that going into it sorry to interrupt i do just want to for somebody who hasn't gone through what we call a high-risk pregnancy um it's hard to sometimes grasp just how many appointments you have so can you guys talk not to backtrack but can you guys talk just a little bit about like what your schedule looked like because now it wasn't just like oh we'll check baby in x amount of weeks I mean I'm sure there was multiple ultrasounds and appointments and I remember when my son had like his first cardio ultrasound in the womb she was like you're not going to get the fun pictures at this one this one's just pictures of the heart and I was like so can you tell us a little bit just about you know what your high-risk pregnancy looked like just from like a simple scheduling standpoint because I think sometimes until you've walked through it you're like oh my gosh that was so many appointments and just leading up to delivery too yeah, uh, we had those first few appointments in Minneapolis with where we were planning to deliver. And then following in Fargo, I had weekly appointments from 32 weeks on. So a couple couple weeks of just those regular weekly visits. So it, it did get to be several different appointments. Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, it was just very kind of confusing to keep your to stay on track, right? It was uh, the regular doctor, and then it was the cardiologist, and then it was um, maternal fetal medicine, and then it was we're talking to someone down in the cities, and then then we're talking to a yeah, social worker, and which we can go into a little bit more. But, um, yeah, we would always just come out of those meetings just very like a whirlwind, like, okay, what just happened? We had notebooks filled up with things and questions, and we're Googling, which I don't recommend don't just go home and start Googling because you'll get some crazy stuff. But um, that's just the natural response, trying to understand what's happening and what did we do wrong. And, um, and uh, so, yeah, it was, it's just it's a whirlwind to try to keep it all straight. Well, and I wonder, too, Carrie, if you would be willing to speak to the experience of being the mom carrying the baby. And I think the unique thing when you know before delivery that there may be complications it's hard because you you can't fix it yet, you know? And there's kind of this waiting period where they're with you and they're safe because they're with you, and yet you can't magically go in and fix it. And so 
how did you process through pregnancy and really just like not let fear or anxiety take over because it's really easy to let that happen but how did you process and navigate just the feelings of wanting to protect your baby and and having to wait until that surgery to really fix what you knew wasn't right I think it helped so much to just to be open with other people about what I was going through. So I had a great, you know, work family and and my family and friends just telling them what you're experiencing so that you don't have to sit in that stress and that fear and that anxiety on your own. And so much of it is out of your control. Yeah. I don't know how to do heart surgery, <laughs> so what am I going to do with right. it anyways? Yeah. So yeah. I think just, you know, you do as much as you can as a pregnant mother to just keep yourself healthy and try to take good care of yourself. Go to the appointments and ask the right questions and rely on others to help get you through and just trust that God will um, be in control of all of it and that we really can't fix it as much as we want to as mothers because, you know, you feel you can have that protective shield over your child at all times, but in these types of situations, you really... You really can't. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, thank you so much for sharing that. And not to put you on the spot, and both of you on the spot again, I know we're kind of deviating from our notes, but uh, there may be people here who um, haven't walked the NICU but maybe have someone in their life who has or, um, you know, want to support people who walk through the NICU. So I know you mentioned your work family and your family were really essential in helping you just navigate your pregnancy. So... You know, are there like, is there a tangible way that they showed up for you that made a difference just in how you were able to navigate the pregnancy and prepare for his delivery? Was there anything practical or was it just their presence that made a difference? Like, I, I would love to know just how people showed up for you in kind of that unknown period. People showed up in so many ways yeah. for us that it was really like, I, I can't thank them enough for all the generosity and support that we had during that season of life just um when we found out that jet had transposition of the great arteries and that we would need to relocate and all that stuff i did share it on facebook kind of a longer post about what we were going through and i feel like just by sharing that so many people commented and i had lots of text messages eventually our sisters helped set up a GoFundMe for us so that people could donate in that way, and that made such a big impact, especially with both of us not being able to work for several weeks yeah. at a time and um, people giving gift cards and gift baskets and meals. And um, our my baby shower was canceled, and <laughs> so people sending gifts in the mail and that sort of thing. It was just, it was all... Um, overwhelmingly supportive and I had mothers that reached out to me at that time on messenger just telling me like my son went through heart surgery too and this was my experience and just want to know that I'm here for you and um, the mother who did that she sent a little gift when we were in the NICU and I just I I think that's so special when you can reach out to mothers who are going through it and if you have had that experience to connect and just tell them that if they ever want to talk things through that you're there. Um, So obviously when the heart diagnosis came to me you knew that the NICU would be a part of your story 
but had you known anybody else that had walked through the NICU? I mean, was this like a completely new word to you? Like, what did you know of the NICU prior to his stay? (laughs) I have heard of the NICU before that, or I had just um, in working in the medical field, like you work with different families who had gone through that sort of thing too, so, or um, children who were born prematurely, but it was mostly premature children that I would think about, and I did have a cousin who had gone through it and a couple family friends that had gone through it, co-workers, but otherwise um, I wasn't really prepared for it myself, or you don't anticipate it until you do get that news that this is going to be a part of your motherhood journey. And it's just very surreal because it being the first time that we're, we were parents, it seemed like, you know, what is a normal pregnancy like? So we didn't really have anything to compare it to, right? And uh, so we were open to anything the doctors were saying and any suggestions. Um, but, yeah, very, uh, very surreal. So as you got closer to his delivery and moved to the cities and got ready, can you tell us just a little bit about his arrival into the world and his entrance into the world? It was wild. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm there by her side, and there's about 25 to 35 people in the, in the delivery room all staring at us. Um, uh, it, not that many. <laughs> Maybe I'm exaggerating. There, it felt like a ton. Yeah. And uh, no, it you know it's uh, the the U of M right Children's Hospital. So there's students there, and so there's young young dudes. And I remember uh, me and a I don't know maybe he was 20, a student helping hold Carrie's legs, and uh, he was looking at me in the eyes like you got this man like you're good, and and he's just this little punk, and he was you know so awesome, um, and and such a blessing, and and uh, so professional but so young and uh, um and it you know the baby baby shows up and you know everything clean them up and then a new wave of people come running in the in the room from hiding behind a curtain like the the heart team I, I think they were and grabbed them and wheeled them out the room and Carrie and I were looked at each other like, oh, there goes our kid. I don't really know what we're going to do now. Carrie's like, follow, like, go with. I'm like, okay. So I'm just, like, awkwardly following this team of people. And then they did the, it's like a screening where they, they give you your baby a score. I'm not sure what it's called. Yeah, the Apgar. Apgar. Thank you. I, yeah, something like that. And uh, they're like, you know, you're good to go back with mom, whatever. So, okay, went back, and we just sat there babyless. Um and it, it was uh, very hard and very scary because you don't know, okay, is he okay? Can he, you know, his heart, his anatomy is all different and he's outside of his his mom and on his own. And uh, so they, you know, to stabilize him, um, and maybe we can get into it, but they do a, a quick procedure. Um, what's it called again? The Rashkin. The Rashkin, thank you, the Rashkin procedure where they... they uh, allow the blood to mix in his heart um, without the, the arteries being changed over. And once they d- did that, they told us he's stable and he, and he can be like this. Obviously, he's not 100%, but he can be like this for, you know, as long as as we think we, he needs to be. Um, and even with the doctor saying that, we're still 
very scared and, and shocked and, and, you know, didn't know what to expect. So, um, yeah, that, that's what the delivery was like from my perspective. Um, I don't know if you want to add. First child, so you can kind of imagine what delivering your first child is like. You don't know what to expect with that experience, but um, overall it was a good delivery. It was not super intense labor for long, so that was like best case scenario. And it, like he was saying, a lot of people there with me right away, so I felt like coached through that delivery so well. And then suddenly, everyone's leaving your baby's leaving and you're sitting there you know because you're still getting the medical attention too at that point so um that part I felt like was just a a challenge in in um trying to just recover and but at the same time being so concerned about what's happening with your child and where is he how how is he doing but you still have to take care of your own needs as well. So that that was my perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't think, even, even when you know that your baby will be taken to the NICU, there's nothing that prepares you for that moment. Even when you know that that's going to be a part of your story, seeing your baby whisked away from you is, you can't prepare your heart for that. And it's, I think for NICU parents, it's kind of this, like, life-altering moment of just, like, okay, I trust. Like, I have done what I can do, and now I just surrender everything else. And it's a very surreal, surreal moment. Um, And so, too, after he was born and he had the procedure then, how soon after were you guys able to meet him and hold him or touch him? Like how, how many hours after delivery until you had that chance to, to meet your son officially? <laughs> it was probably like a couple hours, yeah. um, maybe two. Um, it seemed like an eternity, um, obviously. Um, and so it could have been 30 seconds. I'm not sure, but I'm going to say two hours. Yeah. Um, and once he came back into the room, actually, he didn't. We didn't. We go to him. Yeah. We were able. We weren't able to hold him. He was intubated, and he looked kind of like a mess. And it was very hard. But you know, his face is all squished up, and we're just like, "Wow, there's our kid. Like, what do we do?" Um, and there's a. I remember very vividly seeing the oxygen monitor being at like sixty something, and I was just like, "That should say 100." I'm pretty sure, the O2 monitor, whatever, and. And they were like, yep, but 60s is, is okay for now. You know, obviously, is, we're going to shoot for 100 after the surgery and all that. And so um, we're in the, the NICU with our baby, uh, relocated, um, staying in a boarding room for a little bit. But then they finally got us we were in, a in a hotel. For a long time, oh, yeah. But. There's a whole thing before this. <laughs> we, were a month down, we were down there for a month before all of this happened, waiting for the baby. And wanting the baby to show up so we could start, you know, operating. They could start the operation and get them all fixed up. And, um, yeah, just two parents relocated by themselves. Um, It was kind of a special bonding moment for us, you know, just (laughs) because it wasn't in our hands. It was in God's hands. And and we literally just had to sit and and wait for Jet to show up. And, um, And when he did, kind of the plan just went and... Um, I remember, you know, visiting him, visiting him, visiting him, wondering, okay, what's happening? What's going on? And uh, finally they 
um, I think it was like a week or so went by, maybe a week and a half. Mm-hmm. And I'm like thinking, they need to operate soon. Like, yeah. what's going on? Didn't have a date yet. Yeah. We didn't know the date of the operation. And we're like, something doesn't feel right. They should have this planned out. We were down here a month before. They knew this, what, three, four weeks in or a month in or whatever, a couple months. I'm not sure. Anyways, um, they called us in into a meeting. I don't know who did. One of the... Cardiologists did. The cardiologist. And uh, so Carrie and I, and then our parents were actually there. And I'm like, this something seems off. Why are we having this, like, ballroom meeting here when our son's out there, like, waiting for surgery? And uh, the cardiologist said, unfortunately, and I was, our hearts dropped, right? Um, and they said, uh, we can't perform the surgery like planned um, at this hospital. Um, and, and we were like, what is wrong? And, and it wasn't anything with our son, thankfully. It was, um, and I shouldn't say thankfully because it's probably a tragic thing. And I don't know this story, this side of the story, but the surgeon was having some complications in his family. And so he was out for, and we didn't know how long. So they said, you can, you can sit and wait, jet stable enough. You can sit and wait here um, for the surgeon to come back and perform the surgery, or we can life light you down to Mayo and probably get the surgery done within a day or two. And we were like, it wasn't an easy decision by any means, but we picked go to Mayo because we didn't want to sit and wait for an unforeseen amount of time. Um, and so they threw Jet in a plane, threw him. They put him in a plane. <laughs> They, they threw Jet in the Jet. Wow, look at that. <laughs> Maybe that's where we got the name. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he was in there, you know, in a NICU bubble type of type of deal. And her and I got in our Chevy Tahoe and drove to Mayo. Um, so once we got down there, um, they said, you know, that he gave us the lowdown. He explained what he was going to do. And then literally like the next day, I think, he was like, we we were prepped and ready to go for surgery, and I was like, "Wow, like that seems way too fast." Because we had just been waiting for two weeks, and now all of a sudden he's in the operating room. Um, so, Carrie, what was it like for you to send Jet off to surgery? Because again, it's kind of one of those things that you've been planning for and preparing for, but now you see their face, you see them, and you're like, "Wait, now I have to send you off to surgery? Like this feels really real." So can you just tell us a little bit about what it was like to send him off? You're not really ready for it. You know that it's happening, but it just comes up, and you have to send him off. You know, you just, it's, it's surreal. At that point in time, I think I started kind of my own mental health journey. I really, like he said, was pretty sleep deprived and struggling with that piece. So I had to take care of myself at that time too. So I think that now looking back at it, I wish that's something that I could have prevented earlier, but I was a little bit removed at that time just because I was um, trying to take care of my mental health and couldn't really truly be there. I was there shortly after, like once I got more rest and was feeling mentally more stable and ready but at that point I had to um, take care of that and so for me that I was there but I wasn't at the same time and that was really hard so Tyler really stepped up and at that point in time and um, 
just made things work with communicating with the doctors and me and medical staff and family and so that's where I was at at that point in time. I want to just commend you for that. Um, as moms, I, I mean, we all know that we will put our children before ourselves every day, every minute. Um, and also, you saying that out loud removes the stigma and the shame for other NICU mothers that needed to prioritize themselves in a moment that they maybe wanted to be present for, but in order to be present for their baby post-surgery, needed to take care of themselves. <laughs> and I'm really, really proud of you because it took a lot of courage to step back and say, in order for me to show up for the jet, for Jet in the way that he needs, I need to be rested. I need to be okay. And I'm really proud of you for that. That takes an immense amount of courage. And for any other NICU moms listening to this, too, know that there's no shame in needing to rest, in needing to care for yourself. In fact, it is essential. And also to remember that you just gave birth. Like, that's a big deal. Like, our bodies just went through this, like, transformation, and now, like, we're navigating this, like, very traumatic life experience. And so to really just commend you for that and to really see that as, like, an act of courage on your part. And just I'm really, really proud of you. <laughs> so um, to go back to where we left off then, Tyler and Carrie, so he had the surgery. You get the, he made it, we did it. What happens next? What did his stay look like following that? And how did you begin to really walk through kind of what would maybe be like phase two, just the healing part of his journey? Um, you know, surgery is done. We, will, we go up the elevator. They left his chest open for yeah. a few days. Yeah, after we go up there into the room and they're like, okay, not to shock you, but we needed to leave his incision open. Just looking at that, it's tape over the chest you can see the (laughs) see the heart and that is the wildest thing you'll ever see in your life (laughs) see that little it's like an almond little heart beating just knowing that that heart wasn't beating a little bit ago and a machine was running um and that someone very strategically performed surgery on that little tiny heart and uh you know is it's amazing and and he's you know they have to leave it open so the it, the swelling and all that can happen and and that didn't make sense to us and we're like well close it like what's <laughs> happening um finally after some of the swelling went down they were able to to close it um and uh stitch it up and everything yeah in his healing it it really took him quite a while to learn how to eat without his feeding tube and so getting that feeding part down i feel like is what took a really long time it was nice to see him coming out of you know being so sedated and yeah. stuff like getting some of them rid of some of the medications and to see him wake up mm-hmm. from that yeah. and start interacting with us looking at us and doing the feedings and stuff like that that was I think the best part of it all all during this time we had a place to stay too which was really nice and so um having that stability of just now now we're here, we're doing this, we're not moving around or anything, really helped me too in yeah. healing and um, getting some kind of routine and yeah. figuring out how to take better care of sleep and that yeah. sort of thing. So, um, and, and once he started to keep food down and, and the, the pumps were going away, they started talking about 
kind of discharging us and that was really scary there's 24 7 care for the last three months basically not three two 36 days <laughs> it felt like uh, three years and it, it is tricky when you go from having that 24-hour care to then suddenly it's like well okay he's gonna sleep in his crib tonight and yeah what yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna do it all now well and um in the spirit of valentine's day coming up to um I keep switching my questions, you guys, but it's not often we also get to have the NICU dad or NICU partner on the podcast with the mom, and so I'd love to know, too, um, was there anything special that you guys did together to just, like, make it your own? Did you guys have any just ways that you continue to connect with each other and really, you know, keep you guys connected throughout it all? So in 2014, I brought Carrie, we were dating, I brought her to a concert in the in the cities and uh, I was like I'm gonna ask this girl to marry me <laughs> and so after the concert we went out on the stone arch bridge in the cities and it uh my plans completely crashed because the skylight shut off it was way too late it was raining I said let's get out of the car and check out the bridge and she said what and uh so we awkwardly got out of the bridge uh, out of the car we ran onto the bridge and I was recording it in my on my a phone in my pocket and I went down on one knee and asked her to marry me and yes and oh my gosh fast forward uh we're down you know waiting for baby to show up and where are we we're on that same bridge yeah. holding hands walking uh and so that was a really special moment and we took pictures and just like wow here you know here we are now married and it's in the middle of a storm but you know this is where we got engaged so you know we went on a lot of walks um on that bridge and there's like some trails around that area that was a good time to just have that uninterrupted time together. Thanks for sharing that, you guys. I know I'm going off script. Um, so one thing we talk about often in this community is when you're in the NICU or going through a very medically complex journey, oftentimes you're in fight-or-flight mode. And so we kind of talk about how a new chapter of the NICU begins when you come home, the healing journey. And so would you guys be willing to elaborate just a little bit on just what healing and processing your journey post-NICU looked like and how you began to really, like, we just went through that. Like, holy cow, like, that was a lot that we just went through. And um, so how did you guys begin to process that and really find the safety to do that? I was thankful that when we got back, I still did have some time left to focus on maternity leave and just spending time at home taking care of Jet and yeah. getting to know him. And, <laughs> you know, because he's shared so much yes. when you're in the hospital. And yes. so that that part of the healing, you're really, the wound's still open. Yeah. You're, you're processing, you're trying to um, take care of your new child, you're trying to take care of yourself, you're trying to get things back in order so that life can begin as yeah. a family of three. So um, just taking it day by day, yeah. I guess, was the best way to go about that. Yeah, and I just remember being so at peace and so calm, you know, in our little apartment when we got home. And I have a video on my phone that I watch often, and it's her and we had a little room for jet what is it called the nursery or whatever and uh and it's such a quiet day and and the door's kind of shut and she's in there just like with her eyes closed rocking jet and uh we're home and i have a little video and and music is playing and it just was amazing to just you know 
like the storm was over and the the clouds had lifted and here we are and she's in this sunny little room rocking him and and uh yeah so amazing to see her in that in that light So then let's, um, as we kind of near the end of the episode too, let's just chat a little bit about how he's thriving today and how he's just the sweetest little boy. You shared a story about like school drop off and like just the fact that he's like in kindergarten or, you know, it's just like wild. So how is he doing today and what does his heart monitoring look like now? Do you guys have regular cardiology appointments or, you know, what does, what does Judd's life look like now? You wouldn't really think of him now as, like, a child that had gone through all that. He's really physically active. He's able to run around with friends and participate in all of the physical activities that you'd want him to be able to do. He loves reading and learning, and he's a bit of a nerd, and we love that about him. Uh, He loves Pokemon, (laughs) playing his Nintendo Switch, fighting with his sister Gwen. Uh, He's just the greatest kid, and... He's doing really, really well, and he's getting along great. Yeah, yeah, just, uh, just a little little dude. I just love him. Um, he wants to wrestle all the time, and and I often forget he's you know wrestling with me so hard, and I'm throwing him on the couch and tickling him really hard, and then he'll get sweaty and take his shirt off, and I'm like, whoa, there's his scar. <laughs> yeah. Like, am I going too hard at him? And then he comes back, and, <laughs> and so I'm just like, you know, he's just a typical kid, and and that was one of our biggest fears is, like, what's going to happen afterwards? Like, I wanted to just meet a family who had a baby with TGA and maybe six to ten years afterwards see what their kid's up to and what can we expect. And and so my big thing going through all of this was, like, if anyone's listening to this whose kid is, like, in the midst of all of this, that there is hope and that, that your kid is, you know, is, is going to be gonna be all right and and uh he uh he or she um yeah just the doctor kept saying you know he's gonna be a typical typical little boy and there's gonna be no restrictions but in the back of your mind you're like yeah there are there's gonna be stuff (laughs) so every year we go in for a cardiologist's appointment and they're always like things are looking great um they did say you know maybe when he's 30 or something we may have to look at replacing a one of the valves because they had to do like a special little procedure which we didn't really go into but um his anatomy was a little different and so they they had to replace one of his valves or do something with it or take the valve out and put it back in anyways that like you're just i'm just thinking okay 30 years from now a little a little helicopter submarine is going to fly into his you know like and there's going to be a robot just you know i'm just just saying like the technology is insane and and babies who had this condition back in the, I don't know, 70s or 80s, they did the mustard procedure, which there was, they would put baffles in the, in, in the heart and actually like kind of try to shift the blood to the correct spots, and, and it wasn't the best success rate. And, and he was telling us all this, and I'm like, oh, great. And then he was like, but now we have new technologies, and, and we actually stay on the outside of the heart, and we can just you know re- switch the arteries and, and reattach them. And uh, there's like a 90-some percent success rate. And, you know, you still don't believe them. Right. And you're just like, okay. Um, and, and everyone's anatomy is a little different. So they did actually have to go into his heart. And he had a, a VSD, like a hole between the two. And so they had to patch that up. And so a lot of work on that little guy. But, um, yeah, he I can't get him too excited about basketball yet. Um, but he does love uh, learning. 
in drawing and wrestling and um just a typical little boy i wanted to do a take a little video of him being like hi i'm jet yeah. <laughs> uh but his vocabulary is hilariously way too big for his age and i dropped him off at kindergarten and i was just like wow my kid's in kindergarten and uh he gets out of the car and bye buddy love you have a good day and he's like dad come on like, you know like looking at me like yeah like what are you doing and his backpack's way too heavy for him and he's like falling and he's just this little punk but he's like so like yeah with it and uh just we're just really proud of him and of the young young boy he is and hopefully the young man he will become I love it, you guys. Uh, we recently launched a collection, a merchandise collection called uh, There is Goodness Ahead. And our whole hope was that this exact message of sometimes when you're in the NICU, all you can see is just like the next 10 minutes in front of you. And it's hard to envision, like, what will it look like to drop my kid off at kindergarten? Like, is that day like going to be a reality? And so this message of there is hope, there is goodness ahead, like there is a world outside the NICU that exists. And so, um, you know, when we connected Tyler at Thunder, you know, one thing that you had mentioned was, you know, six years ago, things like Dear Nikki Mama weren't a reality yet or, you know, like this type of peer support. And so, um, you know, it's really it's really special to just hear of, like, how Dear Nikki Mama can step in now in ways that maybe weren't available 6, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And, um, and like you said, Carrie, of being really vulnerable with your village and just saying, like, I need help or this is what we're navigating and... Um, this is like, you know, what we're walking through. We need that support. And so Dear Nikki Mama exists to provide that peer support. And so it's really special to have this conversation with you and to think that our journeys were so close <laughs> to each other. And now my son will be in kindergarten this fall. And I'm like, what is time? It's just crazy. <laughs> Um, so one kind of thing that we like to end our podcast episodes with is just a word of encouragement that you would offer either a NICU family or um, a NICU family that has a heart diagnosis or is preparing for that surgery moment. So what words of hope would you offer them? I would just tell them that they are so resilient. You'll get through this. It's going to be difficult, but you have people that want to support you in this valley and you'll get through it. You're going to be stronger coming out of it and You'll find out things about yourself that you never knew, and there are greater days ahead. Yeah, There's yeah. light at the end of the tunnel. That would be my advice. Exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> um, making it a little, you know, real life here. When when your kid is, is going through this, you feel like absolute, like the lowest of the low, completely vulnerable, completely, like, very very helpless um you know we we have a faith in god and and that really brought it to light how much we needed that in in our in that time um that you know our faiths were a huge factor in in pulling us through and you know and just i think dear nikki mama if it existed back then i would have been a little bit less anxious to be able to hear, you know, hear stories and listen to listen to the podcast and, and get connected. Um, my thing was like, I was I didn't really have enough energy to want to talk to people about it. I just wanted to like read or see a video of a family going through it or 
or hear a message or, or read a little blurb. And so, like, exactly what your nonprofit is doing is, is what we needed at the time. And uh, it's such a blessing that we were able to connect six years later and, and get our story out there. And, and I just hope at least one person going through something hears this and gets a little nudge of hope. Thank you so much for listening to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. If you loved this episode, we'd be so grateful for a review. For more ways to connect with the Dear NICU Mama sisterhood, check out the links in the episode description. 